AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. And we are joined by Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, as we are going to be talking about some of the articles they've been working on, as well as a column as well that talks about implementing some of these great programs the DFL passed during this past session. Uh, The implementation phase is coming up next, and we'll be chatting about that. So, Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So I want to start off talking about a column you recently wrote in the Minnesota Reformer over at minnesotareformer.com titled Minnesota Democrats Passed Their Program, Can They Make It Work? Because I I really like this column because obviously, as we saw during the past session, for people who are uh, DFLers or lean left, uh, a lot of programs were passed that people are going to be very happy about, including, of course, legalizing cannabis, also having paid medical leave and many other programs. But your pro, but your column talks about another uh, very important aspect, and that is the fact that we have to implement all of these programs, which could be very challenging. And you even bring up the example of paid family leave and talking about how, let's say, in early 2026 on the eve of a midterm election, let's say we have a major IT breach or failure, or maybe the wrong taxes being imposed on the wrong people to pay f- as part of this payroll tax to pay for paid family leave. And there could be a lot of problems with these types of things. So this isn't the first time, of course, we could have programs implemented that ran into tech issues. So let's talk about the history and problems of implementing programs, even some of the most popular ones throughout history, because sometimes this can kind of snake bite, snake bite these very popular programs and and different things that get implemented over the years. It's that idea of, well, actually trying to get these things put in place that can really cause challenges. Yeah, government does uh, a lot of things um, that we don't even think about, and that means that they're succeeding. Uh, What I mean is you turn on the tap and water comes out, and uh, ideally uh, it's uh, it's, uh, clean drinking water and it doesn't poison you or the uh, the, the planes land safely. Um, there, there's a lot of things that go on that we don't even think about because they're, they're successful. Um, and there's a lot of complicated, difficult, uh, government work that goes into to making that happen. And so these new programs are going to require, uh, that kind of thankless, um, uh, government work. Um, and, and it's even more challenging because once to, to stand up a program, to implement the program after you've created it at the legislature uh, is even more challenging. Um, and, and certainly we've seen, I think, you know, one of the more high profile examples would be Obamacare uh, and locally here, Mincher, uh, both had problems in their rollout. Um, and I recall at the time uh, there, there was some reporting about uh, previous big government programs like um, Medicare, for example, uh, which is the socialized insurance for the elderly um, and, and people with disabilities. And back in the, in the mid-60s when that was being implemented, uh, that had some problems in the rollout. Uh, so it's, it's not uncommon um, when government takes on a, a, a new task that it has, has uh, trouble um, and it just makes it all that much more important that we get the right people in place, the right systems in place, and uh, that this um, these programs roll out as seamlessly as possible and actually work well, um, because that will prove to the people of Minnesota that government can do things uh, can can uh, can do things to help 
all of us. Um, and in the case of paid leave is, is a great example. We, uh, we expect people to go back to work right after they have a baby. Um, we, we force people to, um, to try to take care of uh, their aging parents while they're also working full time. And so this program is going to create, uh, uh, some humanity around our work life um, by allowing us to step away with pay when we have these life events. Um, but it's complicated because uh, all of these employers uh, are, are going to either pay the payroll tax along with the employee or they can uh, do their own private plan or they can self-insure. Um, but the point is there's, there's a lot of work here on technology, uh, on the compliance uh, and um, on the, the revenue piece of this, it's uh, it's pretty complicated, and uh, it, they have to do it right if they're going to earn the trust of uh, the people of Minnesota. Well, in the very scenario you laid you laid out, I think is very true because, uh, as you said, 2026 in the article is of course going to be a midterm election where we're going to have all 201 legislative seats up for re-election as well as the governor's mansion. And boy, yeah, if there's any sort of problems trying to implement this paid leave program or any of the other programs that were implemented this past year, all of a sudden Republicans very much have a wedge issue that they can use to their advantage. Much like I can even think back to like 2014 when they used something as kind of a well, like the Senate office building, which was passed by the DFL and well, Republicans later used themselves, that was built, but they used that as a big wedge issue back in 2014, or even the implementation of Minsure and the problems that that went through. So this certainly does open the door for Republicans to use this as a wedge issue if any of these programs, and especially, as you said, with paid family leave and the complexities with it, if something goes wrong, uh, they have something to work with in those 2026 midterm elections. Right. That law takes effect in the paid leave law takes effect in 26. Um, that gives the hopefully it gives the Department of uh, Employment and Economic Development, uh, which is going to oversee the program. It gives them time uh, to get it set up, to get it tested so that hopefully the rollout is, is clean. Uh, but that is a, a midterm. That's traditionally when Democrats have struggled. That's traditionally when the, the party that controls the White House has struggled. So if, if President Biden gets reelected, um, that that could be already uh, a tough year, um, but an important year here in Minnesota uh, with all 201 seats up and uh, the constitutional offices. It's possible to be, you know, if, if Governor Walz decides not to run again, you have an open uh, governor's seat. Uh, so it's really important that that, that rollout be uh, done, uh, done well and that people can start enjoying the benefits of that paid leave law uh, going into that 26th election. Otherwise, like you said, there's a wedge issue. Uh, Republicans, um, you know, if the economy's down or what have you, Republicans could could sweep back into office. Um, we do have the trifecta here, uh, meaning the the DFL does, um, but that can change. It's, it's a one seat majority in the Senate. It's a narrow majority in the House. Uh, they could easily come in and and just reverse all of those gains that were made during this legislative session. Well, you had a chance to speak with some people who might be involved with implementing some of the programs that were passed during this past year. And let's talk about some of the challenges that they're going to be facing. And this is something I guess I didn't really think about until, well, you brought it up in the article. And that is, well, the challenge of finding workers to implement these programs that are, well, actually qualified and more than just kind of the typical political hacks that 
you know, might be appointed in other states where we're saying, well, let's just bring in this guy's buddy from the legislature because, well, it's he's somebody's brother and we want to bring him in and run the program. You know, the challenge is actually trying to find those qualified workers and then uh, making sure you keep them as well. Because as I understand, there's also a challenge uh, with some of these managerial roles and finding people who are well not necessarily approaching retirement age since that could be an issue right now. So I guess overall there there are going to be some problems trying to find workers to help implement a lot of these uh, programs too. Yeah, if you think about the Office of Cannabis Management, you've got, I mean, that's, that's a brand new office. You've got uh, HR and finance. Uh, you've got, uh, uh, there's a scientific aspect to it uh, because all the product really needs to be tested. Uh, you're going to have... Um, inspections, uh, compliance, uh, regulatory, enforcement, uh, all kinds of different jobs. We are at full employment, uh, so there's just not uh, a whole lot of people out there uh, who are looking for work um, and can't find it. Uh, You you also have a fierce competition, especially in the management ranks from from the private sector. You have all these these Fortune 500 companies here, and then a lot of these skills, management, Management skills are transferable, so they could go work uh, probably for for more money. Uh, you have an existing workforce in state government is aging. Uh, a lot of them are are approaching retirement, so there's a lot of challenges there to find uh, good people. Just I mean, state governments like other employers, except in some ways it's even harder because they can't pay uh, quite as much. I think the the benefits package traditionally has been very good, but it's not quite as good as it once was relative to the private sector. Um, and, and then there's just the, the difficulties of, of working in, in government. It's, there's so much scrutiny from, from the legislature, from the press, the public, and you're working in this giant bureaucratic system where you, you can't always be as nimble as you want to be because there are specific sets of rules which are there for good reason, um, it's to prevent waste and fraud and duplication and everything else. Um, but the, the public then will get impatient and say, well, why aren't we moving quicker? Well, it's because we have these rules. And if we move too fast, we could wind up um, in, in a situation where uh, we've somebody's taken advantage of, uh, of a government program, like the Feeding Our Future scandal, for instance, where they, they move very quickly and uh, too quickly and and without enough due diligence and it led to uh what appears to be significant fraud. So those are some of the unique challenges of working in government and it it creates um it, it's a it's a difficult environment to work in and I don't think we always appreciate that enough. Yeah, I'm with you on that because oftentimes we we hear so much anti-government rhetoric, especially over the past uh, few decades or so, and usually government workers, not not necessarily the ones who are political appointees, but kind of the rank and file, they're usually just kind of keeping their head down and doing the work and uh, really not pushing back on a lot of that anti-government rhetoric, even though that's certainly out there and probably not helping the situation either. Yeah, I mean, and and to a certain extent... I don't think that we want uh, government to be out there propagandizing for itself. Um, but um, on the other hand, um, it, it really has been just decades of anti-government rhetoric backed by billions of dollars. I mean, think about you know Fox News. I mean, every single night um, just hammering um, the public sector. Uh, and, and there's almost no response 
um, either because, um, well, there's all kinds of reasons, um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a sort of one-sided debate where, um, we always hear about the problems in government. We rarely hear about its successes, which, um, are uh, really daily. Yeah, absolutely. And and you can check out more of that column, by the way, over at minnesotareformer.com, again titled, Minnesota Democrats Passed Their Program, Can They Make It Work? Again, minnesotareformer.com, because as you brought up, uh, a lot of times, yeah, you don't hear about these successes. They kind of go unreported and under the radar, but uh, they do occur out there and worth paying attention to. So again, uh, read the column over at minnesotareformer.com. I uh, briefly wanted to touch on two other uh, news stories you guys are working on over at The Reformer, and one has to do with People who are now working from home because during the pandemic, uh, the number of people working at home skyrocketed. It's from from 6.4% of workers in 2019 to now 20.9% in 2021. Of course, that has led to, now that we're kind of in the post-pandemic period, uh, lots of uh, managers, whether in private companies or even government companies, trying to get people to return to the office. So that has created some challenges. But did anything jump out at you with these numbers in terms of, well, how many people are now still staying at home and and still working for home and kind of uh, how Minnesota compares a little bit to the rest of the country in that regard? Yeah, well, we uh, have... um higher percentage of uh, college graduates and doing the kinds of office work where people can work at home. And we also have this low unemployment rate. Um, and, uh, and so I think it's given workers uh, pretty uh, some leverage. Um, and, and a lot of workers think that this is a, it's like basically a perk that's now um, kind of a, a must have. They're not going to negotiate on that. Um, and primarily I, I presume people love not having the commute um you know even if you live in one of the closer suburbs you you get back an hour of your day and and so i think that's i think managers um and even civic leaders who have called on you know want people back back in the downtowns uh, they're going to have they're going to struggle that so that's going to be an uphill battle getting people back even three days a week um and, and i think that's uh it's something that that civic leaders, government leaders, really uh, need to, to start incorporating um, into uh, how they view the the situation. Uh, it's not things are not going to return to what they were, mm-hmm. and so you've got to start rethinking how we use all this uh, office space in particular, because you're going to see sky high office vacancies, um, and and there's a whole bunch of knockoff effects. But they also need to consider because if the value of the buildings goes down, now you could see uh, higher uh, residential property taxes and or cuts to, to the municipal services. So you, they really have to rethink what happens to these downtowns and start making better use of the space because they're just not going to get back to a situation where you know, hundreds of thousands of people are coming into the office five days a week and spending money at uh, restaurants and gift shops and so forth. That's not coming back. And so if you're a person in government and public policy and urban policy, you really need to start thinking about what we're going to do uh, to transform those spaces. And the other uh, 
article briefly wanted to touch on has to do with, uh, well, it's titled, Report Identifies Major Gaps in Minneapolis Police Department's Response to Domestic Violence. As recently, the Global Rights for Women recently released its own report on the Minnesota Department Minnesota Police Department's response to domestic violence calls. This, of course, comes just after that uh, DOJ report that was just released as well. And one of the at least statistics that kind of jumped out at me was that, uh, well, I'll just quote it right here. It says, when abusers fled the scene before the Minneapolis police arrived, officers and follow-up investigators often did not attempt to locate the abusers, leaving victims vulnerable to future violence. In fact, they showed that only three of 55 gone-on arrival cases examined during the analysis resulted in a conviction of any time, of any kind, only three out of 55. So, again, more issues that we've been seeing with the MPD uh, in dealing with some of these types of cases. I know they also had some issues as well, and, and this report talking about mistreatment of people of color. But uh, I'm curious how Minneapolis kind of de- compares maybe to other departments around the country. Are they running into these types of other issues as well? Because uh, this certainly uh, probably doesn't look very good in uh, when in addition to that DOJ report we had as well about the MPD that was released earlier this year. Yeah, unfortunately, um, historically, uh, police departments um, are have been um, ineffective um, and in some cases, I think apathetic about uh, domestic violence. Um, I think there's a lot of misogyny that's kind of baked into that. Um, I mean, you don't have to go that far back um, to to a place where um, domestic violence was considered um, a private matter. Um, and so I think, you know, we've made progress there, um, but then you get to the, the problem of, the, the victim um, not wanting to uh, uh, testify um, or press charges. Um, and so I think there's, again, there's some incremental progress there where um, the, the idea is that that, um, that shouldn't matter and um, we should be prosecuting anyway. But clearly there's still uh, some huge gaps here um, with MPD in particular uh, where they, um, as, as you point out, um, they don't seem to be making uh, a huge investigative effort in these cases where the the abuser, as long as they're not in the uh, in the domicile, um, they seem to be free of uh, the threat of prosecution. That that seems like a big problem. Well, you can read more about that over at minnesotareformer.com, again titled, Report Identifies Major Gaps in MPD's Response to Domestic Violence. We have been speaking with Patrick Hulican, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. We are unfortunately just about out of time for today, but do make sure you go to minnesotareformer.com for the latest in Minnesota news and politics. Patrick, as always, thanks for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure, Brett. Thank you. All right, let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950.